The scripture reading tonight is Genesis chapter 2, and we will read verses 15 through 25. Verses 15 through 25 of Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 1, of course, speaks of God's creation. Six days of creation are dealt with there, and then Genesis chapter 2 looks a bit closer at how God created man, and then the section we will read speaks of God's creation of the woman. This is the sermon that I'm up to now in, this, in my series in Edgerton on the book of, or on Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 1 through 11. So this is the last sermon I did in that series last week. I'll start at verse 15 of chapter 2. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So far do we read God's word. The text is verses 21 through 23. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." Genesis chapter 2 tells us the truth about the woman, her position in marriage, and her true beauty. Now, the world has their own view about the woman and her position in marriage. Some, and, and this is not just restricted to Muslims, 
treat their wife as their slave. Others today say that the woman should really be a co-head in the marriage, and they laugh at the idea of submission. It's really acting like it's ridiculous. And in our country too, some will not even define what a woman is today and say that a man can become a woman. So there's lots of confusion, obviously, in the world about the woman and her place in the marriage and what her true beauty is. Genesis chapter 2, though, gives us the truth about all these things. Genesis chapter 2 is the truth. It's God's word. Jesus, even in Mark chapter 10, quoted Genesis chapter 2 a, a couple of times, treating it as God's word. So what we read is the truth about the woman and about her position in the marriage and about her true beauty. Genesis chapter 2 indicates that God created the woman and instituted marriage right after Adam named the animals. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, speak about God causing those animals to pass in front of Adam. And the purpose was that God was showing Adam his need for a companion. Verse 20 says, And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. So as all those animals passed in front of Adam, he saw that every animal had a companion, a creature that was just like it. But he didn't have a creature that was like him. He became conscious of his need to have someone to fellowship with, someone to help him perform the callings that God gave him. He became conscious of that need as those animals passed in front of him. There was not found, it says, a, a helpmeet for him. God was causing Adam to see his need for a helpmeet so that Adam would see how good God was to him when God did provide that help meet to him. After Adam saw his need, God created the woman, which is what we consider now. So we look at God's unique creation of that woman and her honorable place in the marriage, and we consider her, her truly great beauty. May God work in us to see the truth about these things. May we see the truth about the woman, the truth about marriage, and may he empower us to follow his design for marriage to his praise. Let's consider the text under the theme, God's creation of the woman. God's creation of the woman. First, her unique creation. Second, her good position. And last, her remarkable beauty. First, her unique creation. The text shows that God's creation of the woman was a significant creation. It was important. Verse 22 says that God made the woman, which in that word, as we'll see, indicates that he carefully crafted her. Verse 22 says, And the rib 
which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. That word made there in the original language is built. Built. And that word is often used in Scripture to speak of architecture. It often refers to the work of carefully designing and constructing buildings. Well, God uses the word build here to describe his making of the woman. So so this was not a creation that he paid little attention to. No, the word build indicates he carefully designed and crafted her. God was hands-on in his creation of Eve, showing that it was important. This was a significant creation. Also notice from the text that God spoke within himself before he made the woman. He certainly, we know he spoke within himself before he made man. You're probably familiar with Genesis 1 verse 26. That verse says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and so on. But you see, God spoke within his own Trinitarian being before he made the man. Well, he did the same when he made the woman. Genesis 2 verse 18, we read, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. All this shows that God paid the same attention, he devoted the same attention to the creation of the woman as he did to the creation of the man. That's notable. It's notable because, again, some men view women as less valuable and they treat them as less valuable. There can, men can have the attitude that the woman should even just be quiet. She, she's foolish. She's really not worth hearing. She doesn't understand these things. Or men even treat them as objects. Men treat the woman as, ob- as an object instead of a person. Genesis chapter 2 and the description of the woman's creation shows the equality of the man and the woman in God's eyes. They, of course, have different roles, certainly. Yet they're both valuable. Based on the creation account, God obviously sees the woman as valuable, and so we must too. Now, we see it was a significant creation. Let's now focus on how God built the woman. How he built her. First, in regard to how he built her, verse 21 indicates that God caused sleep to come to Adam. Verse 21 says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. God did not induce sleep upon Adam to make make that creation of the woman from him more bearable. It wasn't like he, he was putting him asleep so that he could bear the pain of a major operation. This wasn't some anesthetic for Adam. Instead, God caused him to sleep because man can have no part in the work of creating. 
Adam could not participate at all in the creation of the woman. This whole thing had to be outside of his experience to show Adam and to show us that God alone is creator. He only is almighty creator. So God caused Adam to sleep. And God then used one of the ribs of Adam to make Eve. The end of verse 21 says, He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. God took one of the ribs from Adam's side. And that word rib in the original Hebrew language can also be translated side. That makes sense. A a rib, it's on your side. God took one of Adam's ribs, and out of that rib, he made Eve. That was a unique creation, obviously. God did not make the man that way. God did not make any animal that way. God made the woman from the rib of a man. Now, the details of Scripture are important. We know that. And the fact that God built the woman from the rib of a man reveals to us three important things. The fact that God made the woman from the rib of a man reveals three important things. First, that the woman was made from the man's rib shows what the husband and wife's relationship is to be like. It shows that the woman is to be a support to her husband. The rib is a bone of support. The rib cage supports your shoulder bones. God made the wife to support her husband. Also that the woman was made from the rib of a man shows that the woman is to live close beside her husband, close to his heart. Notice that the the woman was not made from the man's head, showing that she was to be the head of the man in the marriage relationship. And she also was not made from the fingers of the man, showing that she was to be his, his slave, she was to be his hands, his slave in the marriage relationship. No, she was made from his rib. She was made from his side, from the bones closest to his heart, showing that she was to dwell beside him, close to his heart, and the man was to love her. Second, the fact that God created the woman from the man shows that the man and the woman have the same nature. The fact that God made the woman from the man shows that the man and the woman have the same nature. Genesis chapter 1 indicates that man has a unique nature that has a physical side and a spiritual side. This comes out in Genesis 2 verse 7, actually more than even Genesis 1. Genesis 2 verse 7 teaches that man was made from the dust of the earth, the physical dust of the earth, showing that he is a physical being. Is a physical side to his nature. But also, Genesis 2, verse 7 says that God, that 
God made man this way. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And having God breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, man was given a unique spiritual side to his nature. He's a moral creature. And Genesis 1 verse 26 says he was even made in God's image and had true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Now that's how man was made. When, when God made the woman, he didn't just start from scratch and make it a, a whole new creature. Genesis 2 verses 22 and 23 teach that the woman was made from the man. That indicates she has the same nature. She was made from the same stuff. She has a physical side to her nature. She's a a physical being. She has a unique spiritual side to her nature. She also, Eve also was made in the image of God, having true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Third, God's creation of the woman from the rib of Adam shows that there is a difference between a man and a woman. God built a female from the man. So she has the same nature. She is a human, but she was different than the man. That's why Adam even says in verse 23, He looks at her and he says, She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So she had a human nature, but she had a human nature that was womanly or feminine. Verses 22 and 23 shows that God created gender at the beginning. Male and female. It's important to take note of today. Because if you search, for instance, how many genders there are on Google, I did that last week, searched how many genders are there, and one of the first articles that popped up was from medicinenet.com. And the question at the top of the article is, what are the other 72 genders? Get the point. The world today does not follow what God's Word says about Gender. Genesis 1 and 2, which is the truth, teaches that God made the woman and God made the man. They're both human, but they express that human nature differently. God created the woman. We've seen that a unique creation, a significant creation. And the second thing that the text indicates to us tonight, the second main thing, is that she has a good and significant position. She has a good and significant position in marriage. That's where we're especially focusing, in marriage. She is a complement. This is the first thing about her position. She's a complement or helpmeet to her husband. This comes out in Genesis 2 in a few places. 1 Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. That word help there in the passage means support or aid. A helper or a supporter is one who 
enables you to perform a, a task, helps you get the job done. They bring strength and resources that enable you to accomplish something. The word fit, or the word meet, sorry, the word there's help meet. Help means supporter or helper. Meet there means fit or suitable. That God made the woman to be a help meet for the man means that he made her to be a helper that was fit for him, suitable for him. She was a complement to him. She completed him. What he was not, she was. What she was not, he was. God made her perfectly fit for man. She brought the strength and resources that helped him accomplish the tasks he was called to do. That's Genesis 2, verse 18. Now, Genesis 2 also teaches that the woman is a support for the man and the marriage when it speaks of her being created from the rib of Adam. Remember, that rib is a bone of support. It shows what the wife's position was to be a support to her husband. She helps him accomplish tasks. Adam also indicates that the wife was fit for him in verse 23. Verse 23, he says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That Eve was bone of Adam's bones and flesh of Adam's flesh means that she came from Adam. So she was intimately united to him then. She was fit for him. Notice that Genesis 2, though, is not speaking of every woman in the world being a helpmeet for a man. It's talking about a woman being a helpmeet for her man, for her husband, that is. The text is about Adam and Eve and their marriage. Verse 24 even says, shows that when it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So when you look at the context, Genesis 2, verses 18 through 23 is speaking of a woman being a help meet, a supporter fit for her man, for her husband. How is that? How is the woman a help meet for her husband? When considering how a woman is a help meet for her man and marriage, Know that this text is speaking of the image-bearing woman being a helpmeet for her image-bearing husband. Adam and Eve each bore God's image. They both each had true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, those three elements of the image of God. Eve was a helpmeet to Adam, the image-bearer, as one who also bore God's image. Now that applies to us because the believing husband and the believing wife here both bear God's image through Christ's work. Adam sinned in the garden. We know that. As just consequence for Adam's sin, natural man doesn't bear God's image. In fact, natural man now is in the image of the devil. 
Instead of knowing the truth, having that true knowledge, he hates the truth. And instead of walking in righteousness and holiness, he hates God's ways and walks in sin. And that's how we are. Know that that's how we are if we're not delivered. But God sent Christ. You heard about that this morning. Christ paid for the sins of his people. And based on that work, <coughs> God does not see his people as sinners. And he lives and he works in his people now based on Christ's work. So that they are recreated in God's image. And they have true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And believers here, we're believers who know Christ because we have been recreated in God's image. The believing husband and believing wife here are fellow image bearers. They both know God. They both know Christ. They seek to walk in righteousness and holiness to the praise of God. The image-bearing wife here is a helpmeet to her image-bearing husband. The image-bearing wife reflects the virtues of God in beautifully different ways than her husband and is a help me to him in that way. She compliments him in that way. Just think of this for a moment. Both the husband and the wife here, the, the image-bearing husband and wife, they both, they both reflect the love of Jesus Christ. But, but do that in beautifully different ways. For instance, we can, off, we can describe the husband's love that he has as a strong love. When his, his children are facing difficulties, he provides that steady hand to them. And sometimes even it looks like sort of a tough love. He pushes them. He's with them. He's got a steady hand on them. He's strong. Mother has what we would often describe a tender love towards her children. She's especially good at listening to them. And when she hears them, she gives a soft answer back to them. And she's especially good with the little children and helping them and teaching them. The wife, you see, compliments her husband. They're both reflecting the love of Christ, but do it in beautifully different ways that fit with each other to the glory of God. The image-bearing wife is also a helpmeet to her husband and that she helps him grow in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness so that the husband lives more and more to the glory of God. She, a fellow image bearer, helps her husband grow in knowledge of God. You, you, you husbands know that. I've heard many times in, in Edgerton of how a, a, a believing wife, this is especially from the, uh, the older ones, a believing wife helped her husband, be in the Word. She helped him as they had devotions together. She would say things about the passage that he would never have seen. She helped him grow in knowledge. Also, she's a support to him in a life of righteousness and holiness so that he grows in righteousness and holiness. That wife knows her husband better than anyone else. She knows his weaknesses. She knows his struggles. And she helps him. She's an encouragement to him. 
She helps him grow knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And, and then, in that way, helps him do his tasks to the glory of God. We know that Adam had tasks called to use the, the creation, develop it to the glory of God. Use all the resources to praise God as the king of the, of the creation. Well, the wife today helps her husband use the resources that they have here on this earth to praise God and glorify Him. To press all things into the service of God, the television, the computer, the phone, all things into His service. The wife helps her husband do his tasks to God's glory. She's a help meet to him. She brings great resources to him, great strength to him. You think of how she does that too in raising the children in the fear of the Lord. You husbands know that. Your wife helps you as you have devotions even with the children around the table, pointing them to Christ in ways you wouldn't have thought of and, and clearly showing them that even around the table. Help me to you. The text is especially speaking of a, a wife being a help meet to her husband, but understand that the woman, woman in general in the church, the image bearing woman, is a help to the church. Women in the church do things that men cannot do or, or cannot do as well. They do many things that men cannot do as well. Some, some younger mothers in the church, for instance, they have opportunity, opportunity to go and visit some of the older saints in the church. And they even bring their children along and the older ones love to see that. The younger men maybe don't have opportunity to do that as those who are out at work. But the women do. And, and women are often able to show tender love to those who are hurting and facing troubles and difficulties and, and able to sympathize with them well. They're able to listen well. Women are especially able to help other women who face similar difficulties as they do or young mothers who face the same difficulties that the older mother in the church once did. And she can point that younger mother to the promises that God gives to mothers in His Word to encourage her. She knows what that mother or other woman is going through so well. Women are gifted in speaking to one another in the church and, and having fellowship. Not as familiar with this church here, but in, in Edgerton it's often the case that the women are usually talking longer than the men and the men are seeking to find more things to talk about. But you see there even the women, the women encouraging the men then to keep talking, to continue to, to fellowship with one another. They encourage them to do that. They keep conversation going. Women serve in the church too so wonderfully by bringing meals to those who are in need. And they often recognize that a family might be in need of something before her husband would. She's aware of those things. It's one of the gifts that God has given to her. What a help the woman, woman is in the church. And the woman then has a high and truly good position in this life. That has to be heard because the world despises what the Scriptures say about the woman being a helpmeet. Say that's foolish. Fem feminists say that calling her a helpmeet is really degrading to her. 
It's it's like calling her some lowly servant. It's old-fashioned talk, calling her basically a servant. The wife, they say, is her own person. She doesn't really need anybody else. She doesn't really need even the husband. Now the truth, the truth is that this position of being a helpmeet is a truly good position. It's a truly good position because it's the position that God created the woman to have. And God called his creation good. So when a woman lives to support her husband in the marriage, she's glorifying God. And her life is, is fulfilled in that way as a wife in the home. She has, she has great peace and joy walking in that way. For it's God's way. She will be growing in knowledge of God and love for Him as she lives close by the husband's side. They're growing in knowledge together. Knowledge of God as they bring those children up in the fear of God's name. That's the way of true joy and happiness for the wife in the home. The seeking of wealth and the seeking of high positions in this world is not the way of, of joy for the wife. That does not ever bring true satisfaction. May the wife here, wives here, live then to support their husbands as God designed for the marriage to be. And they do that to the glory of God. And may Christ empower us today even through the Word. That's how He works. May He do that today. There's another thing, though, in regard to the woman's position woman's good and important position. Know that since God made the woman after the man, she is under the authority of her husband in marriage. She's under the man's authority. That's the teaching of Scripture. Genesis chapter 2 shows very clearly that the woman was made after the man. And then a couple of New Testament passages teach that because the woman, or because the man was created first, the woman is under his authority. 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. says, Let the woman learn in, sub- learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed... Than Eve. A woman may not usurp authority over the man, it says, and that means she may not exercise authority over him. Why? Verse 13 says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. 1 Corinthians 11 teaches the same. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. That the man is the head means that he rules in the marriage. Like a, a head rules the body. Verse 8 indicates, verse eight of 1 Corinthians 11 indicates why the husband is the head. It says, For the man is not of the woman, 
but the woman of the man. The woman was made from the man, so the man is the head. What does it mean, though, that the wife is under the husband's authority? It means that the husband is to lead and rule in the marriage. He's to rule and lead in the marriage. He is to make the major decisions. He is to be the spiritual leader, the one who leads the family in devotions, the one who sees to it that those devotions are done, sees to it that catechism is done in the home. He is the leader. The woman is under the man's authority. God placed her under the husband's authority, and that means that for her, she is to live in submission to him. And that she is to live in submission to him means that she is consciously to place herself under his authority. Consciously place herself under his authority. She is to respect him, love him, obey him. Obey him and obey him all the time unless he tells her to sin. But even then, even if he tells her to sin, she does not try to take over his position as head. She still lives in submission by saying that she can't obey in this instance, but I still see myself as under you, the head in this marriage. The woman is under the man's authority. Know this too. The husband is to rule in love. He is to rule her in love. If your head is working right, then your head does not decide to do things that will hurt your body, right? You know that. Your head will not decide to do things that will hurt your body. A head that's working right rules its body in love, protecting that body, caring for that body, seeking the good of that body, while the male is the head in marriage. And he is to rule his wife in love, seeking her good. That means he is to seek her good physically. So if she's tired after a long day of taking care of those small children, he does whatever he can to help her physically. He seeks her good spiritually. He's with her in the Word, desiring that she grow in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And part of ruling her in love is that he respects her. He doesn't treat her like a doormat. He doesn't act like her opinion doesn't, doesn't matter. Her opinion stinks. He, he doesn't demand silence from her. But he gives her freedom to speak about a matter that needs to be decided on. He gives her freedom to make input, and he, he encourages her to make input. He says, I want to know what you think. And he listens closely to her. And he gives her freedom, too, to use her talents in the home and, and tells her thanks for using those talents, encourages her to use them to the good of the home. That's ruling the wife in love. Now that wife's position under her husband is an important position. And again, that needs to be said 
because that runs contrary to the world's thinking. Many in the world today say that submission, being in that place of submission is the worst. They despise the idea of the woman submitting. They say she should be the head, or at least the co-head. There's no value in being the one who's submitting. There's only value in being the one submitted to. Well, the Bible tells us that the wife is under her husband's authority and teaches that is a good and important position. That's the way that God ordained marriage. And God's creation is good. His ordering of marriage is good. It serves to His glory and to our good. Understand that by looking at the negative first. If if there are two heads in the marriage... Husband and wife are both head in the marriage. There's going to be fighting. There's going to be arguments. The husband and wife will be arguing rather than helping one another grow spiritually. And that arguing and that fighting will hinder the bringing up of the children in God's fear. However, when the husband rules in love and the wife lives in submission, God is praised. Things are in order in the home. Husband and wife are... Living together in love. Wife is seeking to be a helpmeet to her husband, helping him grow in in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Husband is really doing the same for his wife as he loves her. Together the husband and wife too then can focus on bringing their children up together in God's fear. Now understand that the woman, woman does not submit to her husband in her own strength, and the husband will not rule his wife truly in love in his own strength. Will not happen. By nature, men and women are opposed to God's way for marriage. Women only see the truth about their position in marriage and and submit to their husbands by the power of Jesus Christ. And men only rule in love by the power of Christ. They only do this by the power of the one who, remember, perfectly loved his bride, the church all the way to the cross. Christ is the one who perfectly submitted to God all the way to the cross. He paid for all our sins there. And that same one who perfectly loved the church, perfectly submitted to God, he now lives and works in us as children. And he lives and works in the the wives here more and more to submit to their husbands and to be truly a help meet to them, to God's glory. And he works more and more in the husbands to rule in love, seeking God's praise and the good of their spouse. Praise God for that. Now Adam, Adam made a remark about his wife's beauty in verse 23, expressing his love for his wife and praising God with his comment. Remarkable beauty Eve had. Remarkable beauty. He was, Adam was amazed at his wife's beauty and commented on it in verse 23. In verse 22 at the end we read, God brought her unto the man. Then verse 23 states, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Now, with his words in verse 23, Adam was really expressing amazement at his wife's beauty. In the original language, in verse 23, Adam says the word this three times. So that the verse in the original reads like this. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This shall be called woman, because this was taken out of man. As soon as Adam was created, he saw God's creation in all its beauty, unaffected by the fall, beautifully green trees, beautifully green plants, everything perfect. It was astounding. It was glorious. But then he saw the woman, his wife, and he said, this, 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 three times. She was the most beautiful thing that he saw. He was indicating that she was beautiful with the words of this text. He was saying, this one is fit for me. She is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She's fit for me. She's that helpmeet for me who will help me glorify God in all of my tasks. She is fit for me. She will live in fellowship with me as we serve God together. Adam was saying she wonderfully fit, filled his need. And by those words, by those words, he was showing love for his wife and love for God. He was showing love for his wife. His wife was led right to him. So she was right there, and then he spoke these words right in front of her. He said right in front of her, this is the one that's fit for me. This one is beautiful. She's wonderful. And he was expressing too how great God's creative work was with his words in verse 23. He was saying God made her just right. He was glorifying God just as God created him to do. Now what Adam said in verse 23 has application to the husbands here tonight. Application to you. See that the image-bearing wife that God has given to you is beautiful. And tell her that. God led Eve to her husband, Adam. That's the end of verse 22. God led her to Adam. Well, in a wonderfully beautiful way, God leads the wife to her husband today. God is sovereign. He providentially rules over absolutely everything. And he rules his church in love. He controlled absolutely everything so that you would have the wife that you do. And see that the image-bearing wife that God has given to you is beautiful. She is beautiful spiritually as one who bears God's image. She is fit for you. She helps you just in the way that you need. Helps you glorify God in your tasks. Helps you grow in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. She helps you lead your home to serve the Lord. So see that. See her beauty and express that to her in love. A husband is not to be one who never tells her his wife that he loves her and never tells her how beautiful she is. As a 
fellow image bearer of Christ. He's not to be one who thinks, well, I told my wife that I loved her on my wedding day and if something changes, she'll, she'll figure that out. I'll let her know. But otherwise, she should just figure I love her. No, let her know, as Adam did. Tell her how beautiful she is and that you appreciate her. Tell her she's the exact right fit for you that God has brought to you. And say that. Say that expressing love to your wife God has brought to you and say that to the glory of God. Thank God for leading your wife to you. It's not to say that there's never difficulty in marriage. Not everything is perfect in our marriages because we each have a sinful nature. We know that. But God has led the exact right person to you who helps you to glorify God. Praise him and thank him for that. And woman, women here praise and, and thank God for making the woman as he did and for your salvation in Jesus Christ. What a God he is. How good he is to us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we stand amazed at thee, thy creation. We pray that thou wilt bless thy people here tonight. Strengthen us through that word. May the Marriages here reflect, Lord, the marriage of Christ and his church. May the husbands rule in love and the wives live in submission to their husbands. And may the women by thy power be helps here in the church by thy powerful work in their hearts as well. Lord, we thank thee for the creation of the woman. We ask that thou will forgive our many sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing Psalter number.